This is Jim Schwab, manager of APA's Hazard Planning Center, and today we're going to talk about a recovery plan for Maui County in Hawaii. I have with me today uh, Jim Buca, who is a planner for the county of Maui in Hawaii, and Tara Owens, who is with Hawaii Sea Grant, and she is a coastal mitigation specialist. Uh, knows a great deal about the coast of uh, Maui and about the hazards on that coast. So let me start. Uh, you have produced what I have in front of me that says uh, post-disaster reconstruction guidelines and protocols. I understand that this was uh, the result of a project funded by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, uh, for the benefit of, of Maui County. But uh, maybe you can take us back, uh, Jim, we'll start with you, on the genesis of this project. How did this actually come about? Sure. Thank you, and aloha, everyone out there. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, uh, thanks, Jim. Uh, my background is with FEMA for 14 years, from 2002 to, uh, or let's see, 1988 to 2002. And I've been out in Maui County, which is uh, three islands, Lanai, Molokai, and Maui Islands. So that's our county. We're responsible for three separate islands out here. And I've transitioned from the disaster world, emergency management world, into the planning world. Uh, and I'm, with, uh, I'm the Coastal Zone Manager with Maui County. And I realized in this transition that uh, the planning department's uh, throughout the country, everywhere, have very important uh, roles in recovery. And we're, we've kind of stayed away from the word recovery uh, for this project to look at the planning role in terms of reconstruction and looking at how do we expedite reconstruction immediately after a disaster. Uh, in so many instances, uh, from my experience with FEMA, Local governments are not prepared at all, especially the planning department, for uh, dealing with the first week, second week, third week after the disaster. And everybody wants to know, what is my relationship? I have damage at my house or condo. What's my relationship with the government? Do I need permits? Can I rebuild back? Uh, where do I go? What kind of data do I collect? Uh, what does the planning department need? Uh, when can I start? Where can I get resources? All these questions, uh, usually there's a gap, sometimes a month long, sometimes two months, three months, four months before these communities get reconstructing. So the idea behind this project was to close this gap down to from one month to one week or even to one day. So the idea is to arm the planning department, especially the planning director and the mayor, with uh, a, a, a suite of messages and a, and a suite of guidelines and protocols that uh, can be broadcast out to the public in the day or two or three after a major event where major reconstruction has got to go on. So that's kind of uh, the genesis of the project. And uh, when I finally uh, was able to uh, talk with the planning director down in the EOC one day uh, when we had a tsunami coming in, 
he realized that he wasn't a first responder, but I said, in many ways you are. Maybe not right there saving lives, but in day one, day two, day three, you're going to have a microphone in front of your face. You're going to have to talk to the media and and tell the people out there what to do. So uh, what we did is that was the genesis of this project here. Okay. Actually, let's switch to Tara for just a second because one of the things that's sort of important to understand is what are the what's the nature of the hazards affecting Maui? Obviously, you're way out in the middle of the ocean. You're a series of islands, and that creates a certain geography. It certain creates certain vulnerabilities. Tell us about some of that. Sure. Well, I am a coastal geologist by education, so uh, the planning world is something that's new to me as well. But what I've been able to do is sort of bring in uh, sort of our technical knowledge of what's happening right on the shoreline in, into the planning decisions at the planning department level. And what we face every day, Jim and I get out on the coast and he always says we see the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have 85% of our shorelines on Maui eroding. And we are facing situations where we have Buildings, uh, they'd be homes or condominiums or hotels, roads, um, other types of critical infrastructure that are threatened. And all of these are located in very sensitive environments uh, with very special considerations in terms of how we manage uh, responding to those er erosion events and, and episodic events that come along like coastal storms where we would have to be rebuilding, maybe even on a regional or island-wide scale. So we, we want to understand those natural processes, and then we want to understand how we can, in a rebuilding situation, um, make sure that we're balancing out the uh, protection of the built environment as well as the really sensitive natural environment at the shoreline. Great. So what kinds of uh, coastline are affected? What's the nature of the coast I know that this is a, a big subject in the the plan that you've developed. Uh, tell us something about the, the you know the differences in types of coastline and the areas that you're dealing with. Sure, one of the things that we that we brought into this project, we actually developed originally what we were thinking was um, something we would use internally, a decision matrix, and we we identified different types of coastline geologies. And we know we know the coastlines, and we know that some are going to be more more sensitive and have more damage during an episodic event like a coastal storm, and some are going to have you know less less or more damages. And 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 then in the rebuilding phase, some of them are going to be more sensitive to rebuilding decisions, and you know their subjectivity to shoreline erosion setbacks and such than others. So we identified some distinct shoreline types. So you might have something like a, a bluff-type shoreline that's less sensitive and less exposed to the impacts of a natural hazard, down to the other end where you have a nice, healthy beach um, that's going to be very sensitive to what happens during a, a coastal storm. And we may lose a beach in entirety overnight, and there will be homes and buildings and roads and infrastructure that are threatened. So we want to look at those. And then we compared that, if you think of it in a matrix, down the other axis, we compared that to some of the damages we might see 
to the built environment after a storm. So you might have um, a home that just had some roof damage to the other end of the spectrum where you may have a home that is being threatened by coastal erosion and the owners or the stakeholders are in fear that they're going to lose their home and they're wondering how they can respond. Um, and so we wanted to look at uh, the combination of those things together, the environment with the impact. And ultimately what happened that was really cool in this project, that evolved into what we called our game board, our decision matrix game board. And when we went out to the communities, we used that game board to interact and we put the participants in the shoes of the decision maker. So somebody like Jim here who has to make decisions on a daily basis and write permits for what should and shouldn't happen and what the conditions are for that along the shoreline. Okay, yeah, that raises an interesting question, and I'll switch back to Jim here for, for a while. Uh, every planner out there knows that no matter what community it is, different parts of the community are going to have different priorities based on their economic situation based on where they sit relative to the hazards in question. Uh, how did you work through that process of public engagement? Uh, Tara has just mentioned that game board, but I'm sure there's a few other elements to the whole process of public input into this uh, protocol. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, what we did is we identified five underserved communities or isolated communities, one island, Lanai, Molokai, another island, uh, and then out on the road to Hana, out uh, isolated East Maui, and then some of the populated uh, communities here on Maui Island. So we engaged them, and what we did is we did workshops. We did a three-and-a-half-hour workshop in the evening and explained our process and basically had them uh, – input uh, through this game board, looking at trying to, again, put them in our shoes and to, to tell us about their, uh, their local coastline and their environment and also the reconstruction process that was important to them, what needed to be expedited. So think of it as a, like a stoplight what needs to be uh, a green, yellow, red, right? What, need, what, what should be expedited in our community? What's the most important thing to be expedited uh, with minimal county input and permits? What needs, okay, yellow would be an inspection phase. What, when do we need to get an inspector out here? What level of damage do we need to get an inspector out here? Electrical, plumbing, et cetera, anything with health and safety. And then where is the environment threatened? When would your environment be threatened where we have to use the red light, stop, and go through the normal environmental process to protect our uh, sensitive shorelines that, that Tara was talking about? So we have to weigh that. Uh, you know, again, we're, we have some, if you think of uh, a, a balance beam, right, we're trying to uh, weigh Two different things are regulatory control. We want to, and, and I'll explain the permit process in a minute, but we need regulatory control, but also in a disaster situation, we are forced to have uh, improved recovery speed. So we have to balance those two things, the regulatory control versus uh, uh, recovery speed, plus also, what's the other one, Tara? Uh, the environment, uh, protecting the buildings, 
versus the environment. That's the other balance beam, the natural resources versus the built environment. When does the built environment get protected? And that was the main reason for doing this project is that the environment doesn't have any say after disaster, very little say after disaster. We're always going to protect our development. So we want to find out from the communities when the environment trumps rebuilding some of the structures. So that was uh, uh, kind of our approach here. And then some, and, and also what we did is a, a, a key thing that I think people can take away from this is we were very successful in hiring as part of the project what we call local investigators. We're not from the community of Hana, Lanai, Molokai, or any of these communities here. So what we did is we built into our contract uh, like a thousand, two thousand, fifteen hundred bucks, whatever the consultant was able to uh, do to hire a local person, knowledgeable person, to get the right people at the community workshop. We had about 30 people there, including students, some decision makers in those communities, uh, and then regulators like the fire, police, uh, folks uh, who know the community really well. And so we crafted our, our communities uh, and, the, and the people who attended uh, at, the, at these workshops. So that was kind of an approach we had. And then we used all kinds of social media, actually, to spread the word about what we were doing and to uh, gain positive feedback. So we can talk about some of those findings, uh, if you like, also. Thanks. Yes, let's do that. Uh, both the findings as well as what you feel that this uh, whole project has achieved. Sure. Okay. Uh, one of the key findings that we found is that to gain, okay, well, after a disaster, we want to gain uh, people uh, private insurance uh, uh, reimbursements as well as any FEMA funding, any other grants out there. And uh, so also to, uh, to do that correctly, FEMA and insurance, they require permits for everything you do. If you're going to reconstruct, you can't reconstruct in a vacuum. You need to reconstruct... In a, in a permitted methodological manner that you can demonstrate to both FEMA and or uh, private insurance that you uh, rebuilt your electrical properly, uh, as an example. Plus, the county also has liability concerns. We can't allow, not allow people to reconstruct in a haphazard way. So we need to uh, uh, require permits. So the conundrum we have, kind of the planning conundrum after a, after in the immediate aftermath is that we have thousands of permits to issue for reconstruction, potentially thousands of permits on top of our daily requirements. We have, and we have limited staff to do that with, and we have political pressure to do it quickly. So we have to cover the county's liability concerns, and we also want to make sure that all of the uh, permitting is, or all of the, that these people do get their permits properly in a in a uh, expedited way so so the key question was how do local governments expedite the permit process and then another key finding is besides that question of how do local governments expedite the permit process one way we do it is with a governor's emergency proclamation or declaration and the problem we found with that is that uh, all of the post-disaster reconstruction building codes 
and environmental laws are waived by usually by a governor's uh, de- emergency declaration. So the governor is kind of we're kind of shooting ourselves. I don't want to blame the governor, but uh, they, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we realize what we need is to build. To, kind of our moniker for the project was building back safer, stronger, and smarter in a mitigated way. If we waive all of our building codes, if we waive our all of our conservation laws, all of our shoreline permits and our special management area, all of our environmental permits, we're not mitigating anything. We're adding risk to the reconstruction. So what we uh, one of the findings and the outcomes is is we are going we are working with our other counties uh, uh, here, uh, Hawaii County and Kauai County. City and County of Honolulu to revamp the governor's emergency declaration so that we are able to overlay uh, from the planning perspective, the reconstruction perspective, uh, that we rebuild to, uh, uh, to code, to zoning code, and get all the permits and, and follow environmental laws and do it in an expedited way. So obviously it takes a lot of resources to do that. So that's kind of our... We have that that planning conundrum of we want people to get reimbursement, but we they need a permit, and we need to cover our county liability. But at the same time, we're waiving all of the laws in place to do that. So we have this conundrum that we're going to try to rectify. So I encourage all of the local governments out there listening in to look at their emergency past emergency declarations and look at their permitting process and how it does work in a uh, in the immediate aftermath of a disaster and then we do have another outcome and another direction a key uh, thing that that we did is uh, in this project was to come up with so if those are our findings where do we want to go? Tara is going to say something before I talk about the findings. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think, I think Jim's about to segue to some of our more community-specific findings, and so I just wanted to interject and say what was very interesting about the process. So we gave them this game board, and we asked them to theoretically put themselves in the planner's shoes, in the mayor's shoes, in the planning director's shoes, and make decisions. And what we heard from them was very interesting and sometimes counterintuitive, um, the Molokai community was the first one we reached out to. And one of the things they, they told us was one of our damage types that we were, we were looking at in our matrix was um, um, like ohana units or accessory dwellings. Like a granny or, unit, yeah. Um, and, or, or what other things that would be considered accessories like pools and garages and gazebos. And they told us, instantaneously, we want the county planning department to focus all of their resources and their staff on habitable structures. Even if they're the most damaged habitable structures and in theory would be hardest to get permits to rebuild, we want all of the efforts focused there because if we have people leaving our island, uh, then then we have problems. Yeah, the economy will collapse. They were saying we'll, we'll lose our uh, Molokai is an outer island that's five thousand people, very isolated, very very poor. It it qualifies for like ninety ten percent funding with FEMA. So yeah, it was very very enlightening that we need to get all of our habitable structures back up and operate, even if they're substantially damaged. 
and and forget the pools, forget the accessory structures, things like that. So that was and, uh, and every funny. community ended up kind of having sort of a unique perspective on that. Hana and East Maui, they were focused on. Uh, um, the limitations associated with upgrading their cesspools to septics or some other type of wastewater treatment. And um, and we documented all of that. And ultimately, where Jim was leading with this is we created community-specific public messages that we could employ today if there were a disaster situation. And at least we could provide some level of instruction and understanding of the situation to each community specifically. Right. We created different guidelines, five different guidelines for how to reconstruct, and then a series of messages, again, that are community-specific uh, uh, for the planning director. That are, is almost a potpourri. It's a longer list. It's a comprehensive list of different types of public service announcements or messages for the media that our planning director can sort through as the storm is hitting, we figure out what kind of damage. The day after we meet with him, come up with some strategies for communicating with each of these isolated communities, go through this message list that is part of our, our product output that people can look at, and we can kind of cut and paste and construct a, a, a media session with the planning director Instead of the planning director saying, well, we'll get back to you in two weeks as we figure this thing out, to have definitive guidelines and protocols for reconstructing the day after the disaster per community for Molokai, for East Maui, Hana side, for, and then as an example, in South Maui, that are a bunch of condos, we have a big tourist industry, and everyone, by the way, come out and visit Maui. It's more beautiful than the pictures show. So, uh, but anyway, all of the, whereas Molokai said, don't put resources into swimming pools. South Maui, the condo district down there said, if we don't have our swimming pool up and operational, then we are, uh, we're, we're out of business. So our swimming pools are critical uh, for our infrastructure to reconstruct. So we, we have these differing opinions from localized communities that, we have guidelines for. So we would actually allow swimming pools in South Maui, Kihei area, that it's called, to reconstruct, which was one of our uh, communities. Great. I think you've given us some really uh, interesting insights into how a community like yours and hopefully a lot of other communities elsewhere can think ahead about the needs that they are going to face in a post-disaster reconstruction situation. And uh, I think this has been a very interesting uh, interview on your part. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we hope that you have some great success if you ever do face this situation and have to implement this interesting plan. Mahalo. <laughs>